If you missed the introduction, my name is Mike. I'm the pastor here at Christ Church. Glad to see you all. Uh, let me invite you to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide now. If you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 51 through 62. Today is actually the last Sunday of our Luke sermon series, at least, Lord willing, until next winter, um, where we'll pick things back up in chapter 10. It's been a long, a long haul through chapter 9. It's a long one, uh, but we're, we're wrapping it up. Uh, this Sunday. Next Sunday, speaking of, of important days in your calendar, it's Ascension Sunday. Mother's Day, Ascension Sunday, which one's more important? I'm not going to ask that question to you right now, but uh, Ascension Sunday is a really significant day in the life of the church, as is the Sunday afterwards and two Sundays where we'll celebrate, celebrate Pentecost Sunday. These are two really unique weeks in the church calendar where we remember two momentous occasions uh, in, the, in, in Christ's ministry. First, Christ's ascension into heaven. This is 40 days after his resurrection. He ascended into heaven where he sits now in power and in glory until he comes again for us. Second, Pentecost, 10 days after his ascension, where Jesus sent the Holy Spirit from heaven to empower his church, to be with us by his spirit even to the end of the age. We'll be celebrating those two Sundays coming up. But for right now, we're wrapping up Luke for the next few months. Uh, we're at the very end of Luke chapter 9, and it brings us to a very interesting time in the story of Jesus. He actually mentions, if you look at the first uh, verse there in verse 51, he mentions his coming ascension. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, that's ascension language, uh, Jesus' time on earth is drawing to a close, even here in Luke chapter 9. Uh, at the end of Luke 9, you can think of it as the beginning of the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Or maybe the beginning of the beginning event of the end. If you know Luke, it goes on for like another 15 more chapters or so. So we've got a while to go. But it's the beginning of the beginning of the end. Uh, and this is this central section which we're about to come into, uh, the end of chapter 9 all the way through chapter 19 of Luke's gospel. Many people just call this the journey to Jerusalem. Uh, the journey to Jerusalem. If you look at verse 51, the second half of it, you see that Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. And this is what the remainder of the book will be. Uh, it will be Jesus, who, for whom his public ministry up until this point, these first nine chapters, the majority of it has been in the north part of Israel, which is the province of Galilee. And now he's taking his final journey south, south to Jerusalem. Uh, he has to go through the province known as Samaria, which we'll talk about today. And this is maybe a four-day journey or so. This journey is essential. It is central to understanding Jesus and his ministry to us. Because in keeping with scripture, it's in and around Jerusalem where the Messiah, the Savior, where his central work, his, his rejection by men, his crucifixion, his death, and of course his resurrection, all for us and for our salvation, it will all be centered in Jerusalem. And so in our passage this morning, uh, the journey to Jerusalem... Uh, the journey to Jesus' uh, rejection and death, but ultimately hope and life, it kicks off. And Jesus looks at us. He begins this journey. He looks at us and he says, you've learned about who I am and what I came to do and where I'm going. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? I'm going to invite Brittany forward and she's going to read for us uh, Luke chapter 9. Hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 9. Verse 51 to 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. 
But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. As you set your face to Jerusalem to win our rescue, would you continue to determine our good through your work on our behalf? Would you work right now by your spirit in this place to speak to us and cause us to follow you? Wake us up, open our eyes. Would you empower our feebled steps to follow you? Amen. Have you ever taken on a project or a task where after you got into it for a little bit, you thought, okay, I bit off more than I could chew here. It seemed like a good idea at the time, like you were really excited to get cracking at it, lots of energy at the beginning, but a day into it, a week, a month, a year into it, not so much. It was way harder, far more taxing than you thought at first. Some of you know that uh, we're trying to build a treehouse for our kids right now in our backyard, and (laughs) the word house, it means something. (laughs) We're building a house, but in a tree. It's it's, it's something. Uh, And to my non-experienced, non-skilled hands, I looked at the the plans to build this treehouse. I was like, this is going to be an afternoon. Whoa. Really solid, eight hours. But then, of course, that turns into several afternoons and several evenings. Uh, It requires a lot more outside help and consultation from other people, way more adept, way more skilled than I anticipated. I needed, like all of us need, a friend with a truck. That's what we all desperately need. I needed a friend with a skill saw. Uh, But it's also cost me a lot more than I thought. Lumber costs are up, folks. I don't know if you knew that. If you're sitting on private land with trees, sell high. Uh, it's, it's outrageous. Um, it's also needed a lot more time and attention and patience than I thought at first. If I don't want this thing to fall down, you know, to keep my kids safe and all of that, we need to get some support beams up. We need some, uh, some, some, some guardrails, I guess, you know, and all of this actually takes time. And in our passage today, we learn all about the cost, the challenge, and the focus it takes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. In the section that we just read, we meet the disciples. We also meet a few unnamed people who are on the road south to Jerusalem. But for all of them, Jesus has a warning. This is going to cost more than you thought. This is going to cost you way more than you thought at first. Being my disciple will challenge you. It will demand things from you that you didn't expect. Things that will actually make you uncomfortable. 
Luke artfully, he incorporates this extremely challenging call from Jesus with the image of Jesus on a journey. He's heading in a particular direction and he asks people, will you follow me? And really, you can think of discipleship, you can think of following Jesus as a long journey. That's a good way of thinking of it. The disciples don't have it all figured out. Uh, They don't have it all together. They haven't yet arrived where they're heading. They're in the process. They're on a journey with Jesus. And Jesus asks them just as he asks you, as he asks people, men and women, boys and girls throughout history, will you follow me? Will you understand the cost and gladly take it because it means having me and being my disciple, which is life itself? But listen, will you follow me? And so this is our outline for the sermon this morning. The journey of discipleship requires four things, four things and a fifth. We'll talk about what that is after, but four things and a fifth. Things that might challenge you, might surprise you, and this is what they are. Patient mercy, cost assessment, immediate action, and sustained focus. We'll talk about each of those in turn. Patient mercy, cost assessment, immediate action, and sustained focus. So let's look at this first requirement, patient mercy patient mercy. Once Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, he has to go through the province of Samaria, which I mentioned. And historically, if you know anything about Samaria, it it was a mess. Over the centuries, they had mixed and mingled with the nations around them. So culturally and religiously, they weren't actually Jewish. They had their own version of the first five books uh, of of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. They had their own temple, uh, which was on their own mountain, Mount Gerizim. And it was kind of like a rival to southern Jerusalem's temple on Mount Moriah. And so in Jesus' time, there was constant friction and tension and anger between the Samaritans and the Jews. They're like, we have the truth. And they're like, no, we have the truth. And it's kind of a, a lot of back and forth there. And there was so much tension that often Jews who lived north of Samaria, uh, when they had to do their annual pilgrimage down in Jerusalem for the various temples, they would just bypass Samaria. They would take the long way around. I don't want to just cut through. I'm going to go around to the, to the east, to the other side of the Jordan River, just to avoid these Samaritans. And you see some of this hostility and anger happening in our first section. Jesus is taking the road, not around Samaria, but right through Samaria to head to Jerusalem, and the Samaritans don't like it. Here is this Jewish leader going to Jerusalem because he thinks Jerusalem's the right place to worship. And if you look at verse 53, Jesus sends some of his messengers ahead to prepare a meal, to prepare a place for them to stay overnight. Again, it was a four-day journey or so. And the Samaritans won't have him. Verse 53, the people didn't receive him. They rejected him. They rejected him and his disciples. Didn't want them staying in their village because of this reason. There was a reason. Because his face was set to Jerusalem. And you need to see this just as like typical Samaritan uh, Jewish hostility. And the disciples, of course, at least two of them, they really don't like this. This, this gets them going. James and John, I don't know if you know, they have a really cool nickname that, that Mark's gospel tells us that they're the, the sons of thunder. They have jean jackets. They have it printed on the back or something like that. But these, these are hotheads. These are, these are really testy guys, never ones to back down from a fight. And, and they hear, if you look at the text, they channel their inner old testament prophet and look at verse 54 they say uh i kind of want to shout it i don't know if i should but lord do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them something like that i'm imagining they've got like neck veins bulging and they're sweating (laughs) they look like hulk hogan or something like that but if you look at verse 55 jesus will have none of this right he turns and rebukes them he rebukes his own disciples knock it off guys 
And this story is actually really important for demonstrating the very first point. The journey of discipleship we're on requires, it necessitates, patient mercy. We cannot be Jesus' disciples unless we are patient and we're filled with mercy. Followers of Jesus are not a traveling militia of armed bandits forcing the gospel on others. We're ambassadors of mercy and love. We're to bear people's rejection of Jesus and of us, the old hostilities that we're tempted with, whether that's racial or social or economic. They have to be tossed out the window for this mission. The journey of discipleship we're on, it requires patient mercy. We are sent to love people we'd formerly consider enemies. And this is hard. This will actually cost you more than you thought. It's difficult. It's challenging to return an insult with a kind word. And so this journey of discipleship, it's long. You're going to experience a lot of rejection, just as Jesus and the disciples have. And so it'll require of you ongoing patient mercy. This is the second thing it'll cost, or that it'll require. It'll require cost assessment. Cost assessment. If you look at verse 57, after the Samaria dust-up, Jesus meets three people, three nameless, faceless, would-be followers. They're not on this journey with Jesus yet, but they're interested. And Jesus does something surprising here. I don't know if you noticed it as we were reading for it, uh, reading through it. He has some like really sharp or you know really blunt words, uh, whichever it is, to these three people. He doesn't woo them; he he woes them, right? If you could say it that way. He forces each one of them to kind of pump the brakes on following him. What gives? Why would he do this? The first person, look at verse fifty-seven. At first glance, you look at them, and they seem super keen, like extra excited. I will follow you wherever you go. Wouldn't we be excited as a church if somebody just came in through our doors? Sorry, Hannah, just coming in, but (laughs) who said, like, (laughs) I'm all in. You know, like, I am ride or die for Jesus. Nothing's going to stop me. Wouldn't we be like, how wonderful. Come on in. (laughs) Jesus doesn't say this, right? Look at verse 58. He responds to this man's enthusiasm, and he says, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's happening here is that Jesus is pointing out this thing to this very excited, very passionate man, that journeying with him, journeying with Jesus, is often a very, very hard road. A very long road. Foxes, birds, out in the open field, they will often have nicer lodgings. They will receive warmer welcomes than disciples of Jesus. This is the kind of life that this excited man should be looking at. Just like they were rejected by the Samaritans and turned away from even getting a hotel room in Samaria. So many of Jesus' disciples should expect following him will bring a life not of ease, not of comfort, but of rejection, of trouble. Uh, They are now agents for the kingdom of God, and so they must expect that the agents of the enemy will be against them and make their road even harder. And Jesus is saying to this super enthusiastic person, are you ready for that? Have you actually counted the cost of following me wherever I go, whatever it'll bring? This journey is not an easy road. It's a good one, but it's not an easy one. 
Back to the treehouse. <laughs> when we started building our treehouse, the first part that we built was the base. It was just four posts in concrete post holders. We had a few wooden bands that kind of tied them together. It was kind of like an ugly, tall table with nothing in the middle, just you know, kind of like the frame, four legs in a frame. And if we didn't count the cost beforehand, and that's all we could actually do is just get these legs and the frame up, and we presented this four-footed husk to the kids, and we said, okay, kids, here's the treehouse. This is all we could do. They could rightfully look at us and look at the tree house and say, this is actually kind of useless. This is kind of insulting. Better to not have even started it than have this perpetual monument of failure lingering in our backyard for all of our neighbors to see for the rest of time, right? And Jesus here, he issues a really bracing call to would-be followers of him. Challenging words, count the cost. Count the cost. It might be better to not start at all than to start and abandon your work later. The journey of discipleship requires patient mercy, but listen, it also requires cost assessment. Are you actually willing to follow Jesus wherever he goes? Or will you give up halfway and just abandon the work? Third, the journey of discipleship requires immediate action. Requires immediate action. To another person on the road, Jesus says, follow me, follow me. And look at verse 59. The person responds, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus responds to what, what sounds like a pretty reasonable request to us just as sharply as he did to the first guy. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What's going on here? What's Jesus doing? Well, it seems that Jesus, again, identifies something in this person's response to him. This person, what they would like to do is to defer or delay following Jesus. And here he uses family obligations, a, a good obligation, as a pretext, as a cover-up, to not act in obedience right away. The man saying, I will follow you, just later. Uh, there's something else that I'd really like to do first. But Jesus is saying, I'll have none of that. The journey of discipleship requires immediate action. Immediate action. As many parents will tell their kids, delayed obedience is disobedience, right? Not even really important things can stand in the way of following Jesus. Jesus' call to us must take priority over even very good things. And Jesus warns would-be followers of his, those who are on the journey with him, don't procrastinate. Don't postpone to later. Don't put off what I call you to do now. When I call you to do it, you must do it, no matter how difficult it feels. Friends, let me ask you, is there something that is more important to you right now than obedience to Jesus? Something that you will say, Jesus, I will follow you, but first. Is there something in your life that, that you feel gives you an out that will allow you to delay obedience and following Jesus. Jesus, I'll obey your commands to be generous with my income to others. But first, but first, let me just get some sort of a retirement cushion in place. Let me, let me get my finances in order first. Jesus, I'll share the gospel with my friends. I'll be vocal with my faith. Uh, but first, let me get my career going. Let me just settle into the job and, and, and make sure everything is secured. Jesus, I will follow your call to a pure and upright life. But please, first, let me finish my Netflix series. And Jesus says to people like that, let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus is essentially saying, it's somewhat of a cryptic saying, but he's saying people who don't act 
When I call them, when they don't act immediately, they reveal something about themselves, that they are spiritually dead. They're not alive to me yet. But as for you, if you hear me, if you hear my voice, I'm asking you for immediate action. Go, do what I say, don't delay. The journey of discipleship, it requires patient mercy, cost assessment, immediate action, and fourth, it requires sustained focus. Sustained focus. The next would-be follower, if you look at verse 61, is a similar kind of line as, as the second one. I will follow you, Lord, but let me first, let me first say farewell to those at my home. <clears throat> let me say goodbye. This seems reasonable, right? Like, shouldn't Jesus say, oh, sure, yeah, go ahead, I'll wait, you know? Just like the other guy, of course, go, go bury your father, it's all good. But Jesus, again, he, he sees into this person, and he sees something that's going on under the hood. Jesus sees in this person that they're not focused on him. They're looking not ahead to the journey with Jesus, but they are, their focus is entirely backwards. They're looking at all that they have left behind. Their, their heart is not with following Jesus. Their heart is, what's with, is with what's behind. Let me explain it this way. This, person, this is a person who says, if I follow Jesus right now, I'm going to miss out on so much. If I follow Jesus right now, it's going to mean leaving behind things that I truly love, that I truly desire. If I follow Jesus, it's going to mean saying goodbye to a relationship. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to have to leave behind the independence, the control over my life that I crave. In verse 62, Jesus uses the image of a farmer plowing a field. In order for farmers to keep the rows in their field straight and not to you know, like run into the other uh, uh, lanes that they had already plowed or, or to ruin the plow by running into a rock or, or something like that. They had to keep totally alert the entire time. They couldn't, once they had you know, attached the plow to the animal that they were plowing with, um, they couldn't take a break to look backwards, to look sideways, to look up at the clouds. They needed sustained focus on the task at hand or everything could be ruined. Without such sustained focus, Jesus says in verse 62, a very hard word, look at it. He says, without that, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. If you are looking backwards, you're about as much use uh, uh, to the kingdom as a farmer who is looking backwards as he plows. The word fit here, it means useful, right? It means, it means usable. Again, like a farmer who's constantly looking backward uh, will actually be quite destructive to the field ahead. So would-be disciples who are constantly taking their eyes off of Jesus to look back yearningly at all they're leaving behind, they are not useful for the kingdom of God. In fact, they might be quite destructive to it. They're not laboring with prayer and focus at the task at hand. They're not, they're not building their lives and, and focusing their prayers on your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No, they're preoccupied with their former life, with the things that are behind. They're of no use to the kingdom. And I don't know if you've ever thought of being a Christian in these terms. If you're just visiting here this Sunday, it might be a bit surprising, right? Being a Christian is going to cost you more than you thought. The journey of following Jesus is not easy. It's not the opium of the masses, right? It's a bracing challenge. It is glorious freedom. It's, it's life before the face of God, but it's demanding. It, it demands things of you that you didn't expect at first. 
And I, I can't take the edge off of this. Like, uh, we're preaching through, through Luke just kind of passage by passage. This is a passage that probably some, some pastors would be telling. I'm just going to skip over this one. Maybe they won't, they won't, they won't notice that I skipped over this portion. But, but we can't take the edge off of this because, um, because Jesus is very clear in this passage. If you're not willing to be patient with others, if you're not willing to count the cost, if you refuse to act immediately in obedience, if you won't keep your focus on him, you can't follow him. Not because he won't have you, but because you won't have him. As we've said before in Luke's gospel, if you're not following Jesus wherever he goes, are you sure you're following him at all? This is heavy. This is a heavy word. Jesus is laying, laying it all out here, and he's saying, Will you follow me? Will you follow me? Let's finish with this. I told you at the very beginning that, that there, there were four things required to follow Jesus and a fifth, and that's because our first point, being a disciple requires patient mercy. It kind of has a double meaning to it. <clears throat> and by it, I mean, not only must we be patient with others, but also God must be patient with us. God must have mercy to those who follow him. Friends, we won't make it. None of us will on this journey of discipleship unless Jesus is exceedingly merciful and patient with us. I don't know if you noticed back in verse 55 that Jesus doesn't fire James and John when they call down fire on others. Like he doesn't jettison them from disciples because they failed in this monumental way. This would be as great a time as any to just let these two go, right? They threatened to wipe out an entire village to napalm them, right? Like, not exactly disciple material. Jesus would have been entirely just and sensible in that moment to be like, I'm sick of you two. I am tired of this nonsense. You guys are wild. I need obedience. I need mellow. I need even-keeled followers, not sons of thunder. How many times have you wondered if Jesus has said this about you? You did that again? You didn't trust me again? You were ashamed of me again? You lashed out at that person again? You lied again? I'm sick of this. We begin to think Jesus, Jesus would be entirely just and sensible to toss us. But Jesus doesn't do this. He doesn't reject James and John, and he won't with you either. Jesus does rebuke them, right? Very clearly, right? He, he corrects them, he disciplines them, uh, just as he will rebuke and discipline you. But he tells them to stop and to put that kind of living behind them. And in doing so, he shows them patient mercy. He offers them forgiveness and restoration. And together, they continue the journey. There's a rebuke, and then they continue. And this is good news to all of us who are on a journey following Jesus. He's patient with you. Listen, he is merciful to you. He loves to show it to you. He's on your side. He wants you to succeed. This might otherwise be a pretty dark and heavy sermon if it weren't for this fact. And you have to listen very closely. Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem where he will become the savior of sinners like you and me. And then he asks people to journey with him. Listen, don't get this backwards. Jesus is going to the cross for you. And then he calls you to follow him. He doesn't say this. He doesn't say if you become my followers, if you give your life wholeheartedly to me and you live a life of amazing obedience, only then will I go to the cross 
and give myself for you. It's not that order. It's the reverse. Out of love for you, out of, out of a desire to set you free and to give you life, a life that is so different from the life that you're living, which is, which is no better than the dead burying their dead, I will lay my life down for you. I will die for you. I will give my life for yours. I will give life in your deadness. Won't you follow me? Won't you trust me? Won't you give your all to me? And as we look at this difficult journey ahead, as we put our hands to the plow, we need to hear the words of our patient and our merciful Savior standing at our side and with patient mercy saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest, true rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So now may you hear Jesus' call to follow him and be his disciples and to begin this journey. May you follow him wherever he goes. May you show others patient mercy, remembering how patient your Father in heaven has been to you. May you count the cost of following. And no, he doesn't ask for part of you. He asks for all of you. May you act immediately in obedience to not delay, but live a life of ever-ready obedience, repentance, and trust. May you give sustained focus to the work of the kingdom to keep your eyes forward to all that God has in store for those who are his and not backwards at things that will one day be made nothing. And may you learn to trust that you can't exhaust God's patient mercy towards you, that he loves his children and will forever show mercy to those who ask. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for, for your care for disciples, for reminding us of, of the task ahead, of the mission that you have set each one of us as we follow you, and yet also reminding us that you come as a Savior, that you have determined to go to the cross for those who fail, for those who struggle, for those who are weak. So we ask that you would help us now to, to hear your rebuke, to admit the ways in which we've fallen short of this, and then to hear your forgiveness and your restoration. Uh, thank you for offering it so freely to us at great cost to yourself. We pray that all in Christ's name. Amen.